Good morning, everyone. Hey, hi. Uh, as mentioned before, my name is Ben. Uh, I am not a pastor here. Hi. I am not a pastor here at H2O, uh, so you know everything I say. Yeah, take it or leave it. It's fine. Um, I'm going to rely heavily on the scriptures, which means that like all the pressures on uh, God and his word and a little bit less on me. So, yay, if you don't like it, take it up with him. Um, yeah, I'm going to be covering a lot this morning. Uh, basically, the Bible from cover to cover uh, with my, yeah, no, I'm serious. Um, yeah, with uh, our life group, we spent several months leading up to Christmas going over the uh, entire Old Testament kind of leading up to the arrival of Jesus. And then uh, the best way that we could move forward from that was obviously to then cover all of the Gospels uh, leading up to Easter. So it'd be kind of following the story of Jesus leading up to uh, his death on a cross and resurrection. Um, since then, we've covered a few different kind of topical podcasts have talked about how, how do we actually do life. And so uh, that's been like the past year, and I'm going to try to cram it all into like 30 minutes. Good? So life group people, I'm sorry this is rehashing. I hope it's still edifying for you. Uh, everyone else, yeah, wish me luck. Thank you. Also, I'm a millennial, so I'm doing like the whole stool thing with like touch screen device scrolling, so. I feel like it's a little cooler, you know, the pages, like, oh, yeah, but I'm just gonna scroll. It's less exciting for you, I'm sorry. All right, we gotta get started. I have not enough time. Um, so we are going to start in the beginning, as I promised, um, but kind of topically, we're going to take a step back, uh, and I want to ask a question about dignity. Uh, the question I want to ask is uh, kind of timeless, right? It's, uh, do we matter? What are we here for? Anyone? No? Okay. I'll keep going, then. Uh, what I'd like to propose is that our dignity... Um, we can't manufacture it ourselves. We can't invent it. Uh, I think probably a fair few of us uh, have a lot of experience trying to do that. And it's not fulfilling. Uh, it's not satisfying. And so uh, what I propose is that our, our dignity and worth uh, are imbued externally. It comes from somewhere else. Uh, not only that, but it's uh, inherited. It, it follows this chain of inheritance, and it continues, and it passes down. Uh, and I'm going to use art as an example. Quick uh, history about me. I spent a considerable amount of time uh, pursuing a fine art uh, education. So depending on when you met me at my considerable tenure here at H2O, uh, I'm either like Ben the art guy, or if you'd know me like more recently, I'm like Ben the programmer. And uh, I think art is a little more relatable, so we're going with art analogies and examples rather than programming analogies and examples. You're welcome. Uh, yeah. All right, so we can go ahead and bring up the first slide. All right. Uh, what is this? Who, who painted a painting? Yeah. Who painted it? Da Vinci. Yeah, y'all are wrong. That's not the Mona Lisa, and it wasn't painted by Da Vinci. Um, can we go to the next slide? That's the Mona Lisa. That was painted by Leonardo da Vinci. In 1969, when they tried to cover it for insurance, it, was, uh, it set a Guinness World Record. Its value was $100 million, which in today's uh, currency, or last year's rather, is, uh, we'll call it close to, we'll round up, we'll call it $700 million value. 
in reality, it's priceless. Like no one can go to the Louvre and say, hey, like I've, here's, here's a billion dollars, can I have that like Mona Lisa thing? Like no, you can't. What makes this different than the other one? <laughs> it was, it's true, we got the art history major. Um, it's the author. One's a Da Vinci, and one's not a Da Vinci. The previous Mona Lisa, is it possible to go back? I mean, in a certain sense, like, it kind of looks better, right? <laughs> yeah, the colors are more rich. It's like survived the uh, test of time better. Um, but for a long time, it was considered kind of a comparatively worthless copy. You know, there's still some value. It's, it's a copy of the Mona Lisa. This is a thing that, that happened a lot back then in that culture. Um, but it's not Da Vinci. Well, as recently as 2012, uh, they decided that this probably came from Da Vinci's workshop. Now, he didn't paint it, but probably students underneath him painted it. Uh, and there's some theories about who that may have been. All of a sudden, it's become really valuable. It's in the... Uh, Museum del Prado in Madrid, if you look up uh, Mona Lisa del Prado, uh, this is what you'll see. If you look up just Mona Lisa, can we go to the next one? Uh, that's what we see, uh, and this hangs in the Louvre. And so do you follow me with what I'm saying about the worth uh, has been imbued into the painting by the author? It has nothing to do with the pigment. It has nothing to do with the fact that it's like painted on poplar. It's not even really about like, well, at the time it was about how masterful of a painting it was, but at this point, it's a da Vinci. And the other painting's uh, relative worth was based entirely on how closely or not closely it related to that master painter, Da Vinci. This is why one of them was not valued very much for a very long time. Uh, and if we can go to the next slide. While the Da Vinci is behind uh, thick, thick bulletproof glass. You can't get anywhere near that thing. There's like giant dudes like standing all around it. There's like the bulletproof glass. There's, you can see kind of this like barrier around it, and then there's a barrier around the barrier that's like the thickest velvet rope I've seen in my life. And then after that are just hordes of people taking selfies, and that's the real protection, because there's like no making it through that mob. <laughs> <laughs> All right, uh, we can take that down. So, uh, that's art. What's a person worth? How do we measure that? Do we add up all the atoms? Really rudimentary bad research on Google, research, um, says like maybe a couple hundred bucks worth of like stuff is in us if we like were to somehow like magically pull us apart into our different uh, molecules and atoms. Uh, what about economically? We can ask the insurance company like, ah, what's, what's a life worth? Uh, again, basic research here. That number goes from anywhere like 50,000 bucks uh, all the way up to if it's kind of looking statistically like, hey, what's the impact of a human life on the American economy? Uh, you know, then it gets better. It's like a couple million dollars. Uh, hey, you know. Um, should it even be measured that way? I heard someone say no. That made my heart happy. <laughs> no. So where does it come from? Uh, I'm gonna put out there that it comes uh, from our creator, our God. And so I'm gonna read from Genesis chapter one. Um, full disclosure, the only slides you're gonna to see today are art, and that is my fault. Um, yeah, 
And uh, so if you have a Bible, uh, you can try to follow along. I'll try and be good about uh, declaring where I am and all that sort of good stuff. And if you don't have a Bible, we can do it how Christians uh, and Jews before them for millennia did it, which is to listen. Sound good? Cool. So uh, Genesis chapter 1, I think we're pretty familiar, right? Uh, There is nothing. Well, there's not nothing. What is there? There's God. Yeah, there's God living already in Trinity, already in love, already in relationship. Uh, There is God, and God decides out of, from our perspective, nothing, because we've we've only got this as our basis. We have the air we breathe and the stuff we touch and the things we remember. That's our whole concept of everything. Um, So from our perspective, from nothing, God creates everything. Uh, From space and time and physics and plants and birds and animals and creatures that creep on the earth, um, God makes it all, and it is... Good, yeah. So God makes this physical place that we inhabit, and it's good. It's not bad, it's good. I'm going to pick up in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness, and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. God created man in his own image, in the image of God, He created him. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth, and subdue it, and rule over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the sky, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth, and every tree which has fruit uh, yielding seed, it shall be food for you. And to every beast of the earth, and to every bird of the sky, and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. God saw all that he had made, and behold, it was very good. Very good. Culmination of creation is us. So we have, uh, let's just like volume, I don't know, something cheesy, right? Like Da Vinci, pretty good, right? Divine creator of all things. Very, like, awesome. Yes, like, who has, like, the greater power to imbue worth? God. And what the Bible tells us is that God is our creator, and uh, he is more than our creator. We are his special creation. We are his cherished creation. Uh, He does not give a commission uh, to the birds to rule over the creeping things, right? He does not say to the waves, ah, and you'll be in charge of the sand and, like, where I've separated you. Uh, No, he says... We'll make man in our image, male and female will create them. And so we live in a relationship that models a relational God. Um, being his image bearer, does that mean that we like look like God or God looks like us? No. I mean, maybe, I don't know. I've not seen, I've not seen the big guy per se. Uh, <laughs> but theologians who are smarter than me and have spent much more time thinking about this say no. Um, it's about his character. Uh, It's about this special soul that he has imbued in us. Uh, It's this commission to have free will to exhibit his character traits, which are so good. Um, It's not to kind of like, oh, okay, birds and like alligators and stuff, like fight. No, it's like to steward the earth. It's to continue his work of creation. It's to continue to spread his glory uh, in his creation, to bear his image. We are the masterwork of the most creative force that we cannot wrap our heads around. 
So uh, I hate it when people do this, but I've got the mic, so I get to do it. <laughs> everybody's hand up. I'll do it too. Yeah, we're all in this together. All right, everybody's hands up. If I can't see you and your hand's not up, this still applies to you. Uh, if your hand is up, you have dignity. You have worth. You are cherished by a holy God who created all things. No one can take that from you. Nothing can take that from you. You are the image bearer of God. Look around. The person next to you, every person you see holding their hand up in the air, every person you see in another room when you leave this, everyone you pass on the highway and get mad at, I almost said a different word, um, they too bear the image of their creator. Nothing can take that away. All right, I promise very soon. Nope, 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 up. <laughs> Keep your hand up if you've never been disappointed. I'm glad everyone's hand went down because then I would have had to call someone a liar and that would have been awkward. <laughs> so we are the beautiful masterwork of God and yet not one of us, we can look around again, you know, verify, yep, no hands are up. Uh, not one of us has been spared from disappointment. We face challenges and heartache and hardship. We have been wounded and we wound other people. Um, so what gives? We're gonna keep going. Unfortunately, Genesis and the whole Bible is not like, hey, God created all this good stuff and it was awesome, the end, and like forevermore. Um, unfortunately, the story keeps going uh, because God created us as his image bearers uh, and in a special relationship with us. He, he created us to be our God. I know this sounds a little like, duh, like, no, but think about that. Like, he created us. We are creation. He is creator. And this is how it's supposed to be. We look up to him, and he cherishes and values and loves relationship and life with us. And so he gave our forebears, Adam and Eve, um, free will and a garden to sustain and tend, uh, and basically one rule, right? Do we know the rule? What's the rule? Don't eat from the tree, yeah, because fruit is bad. <laughs> no, <laughs> fruit's okay, um, <laughs> but that fruit, uh, what, what's the fruit? It's called the, the knowledge of good and evil. What's the temptation from Satan? The temptation is that if they were to eat from it, their eyes would be open, they would know right and wrong, they would be like God. This is the temptation. We desire to be our own God. And so when we ate from uh, that tree, when we made that decision, we came to know sin, like we came to know good and bad, uh, unfortunately in like an experiential sort of way. It's like, oh, I feel shame now, I'm naked, I've done something bad. Uh, and there's a, ah, mm, mm. see I always wanna go deeper and deeper and I can't do it. Um, <laughs> We're not gonna get to the end of the Bible if I do. So, yeah. <laughs> uh, so an interesting thing happens. God shows up uh, and he kind of calls them out, right? And then he curses them. Ever think about that? Like you've been cursed by God. It sounds like something from like a movie, right? Like, ah, I curse you. Um, but he specifically curses uh, the serpent, Satan, he curses uh, Eve, and he curses Adam in specific ways, uh, ways. And with Adam, he even specifically says, the ground is cursed because of you. Everything is broken. And just like uh, our forebears um, were created by God, imbued with his image, 
we bear that image through this inheritance, this genealogy. We go back and we've been ultimately, we've been created by God. Unfortunately, so too um, does this brokenness. We have inherited this brokenness. The big theological word for that is depravity. And it sucks. I'm going to bring up the last picture now. More art. Shield your eyes if you're sensitive to marble nudity. (laughs) Anyone know what this is? Venus de Milo. It's one of the most famous sculptures in the world. Uh, It's viewed as one of the best examples of Greek sculpture sculpture of the Hellenistic period, uh, and it's cherished. It is also at the Louvre because that's where awesome art exists. And yet, notice anything missing? Her arms. She has no arms. She's broken. She wasn't made that way. She wasn't sculpted, and then like her arms were smashed off on purpose, and it was like this avant-garde, like, yeah, yeah, no arms. <laughs> She's supposed to have arms. She's still beautiful, she's still cherished, but she's broken. It's not how it's supposed to be. All right, we can take her down. Um, And so began a cycle of tension between God and man. And the rest of the Bible uh, chronicles, especially the Old Testament, chronicles this tumultuous relationship between a God who is pursuing people, trying to restore relationship, and people who kind of are very fickle-hearted. Have you met a person? I am fickle-hearted. Like, I think I want one thing one day, and then I want something else the next day, and it's maddening, especially to my wife, Stephanie, who's amazing and patient and kind and beautiful. Uh, uh, But us even more so. And so God, over time, he lays out uh, what we call covenants. These are kind of these, like, really... Um, ironclad promises. Covenant means, the, the Hebrew root word for that, which I'm not going to try to say, uh, means to cut. And I'm not going to cover every covenant, but I'm going to hit a few of the highlights. Uh, with Abraham, God establishes a covenant that his family would grow into a nation. And of course, when he promises him this, uh, he and his wife Sarah can't, they can't have kids. And they're getting older, and they're getting older, and they're getting older. And in fact, by the time they finally have a kid, uh, Sarah chuckles at God saying, no, 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 like you're going to have a son. And so God makes them name him. He laughs. Like, that's, I, I find that funny. <laughs> so God establishes this covenant with Abraham that his family would grow into a vast nation that would one day somehow bless the whole world. Uh, and they would be set apart. Uh, their part of the deal uh, is through circumcision to cut. Yeah, awkward. But they would be set apart in this really intimate way. Uh, We roll through the ages and generations, uh, and we find that they have indeed grown into a mighty nation, Uh, not even a mighty nation so much as a giant people group who is subjugated by the Egyptian empire. They're enslaved, and God establishes a covenant with Moses and the Hebrew people. He brings them out of Egypt, uh, and he says that they will become his chosen, special, holy nation, set apart, and that he would dwell with them. He would no longer be far off, but he would dwell with them. Their end of the deal was called the Ten Commandments. 
guess what? While, while he was like making the Ten Commandments and like giving it to Moses to take down to them, they like look down the mountain and they're already breaking them. Like they're already, they're bored and they're not sure if Moses is coming back and it's scary. So they decide to make a giant calf out of gold and worship it. Which brings me to the next point. Because God knows that, he can, uh, that they are incapable of keeping these commandments, he establishes a system of sacrificial atonement, which is awkward and gross and it's supposed to be. It's bloody and it's violent, and he knows that his people can't follow his commandments, and if he's going to tabernacle with them, if he's going to have his presence in the special place that the high priest can go into, uh, there needs to be a payment paid. There is a debt created because of their sin, and it needs to be atoned for. And so he establishes a system of sacrificial atonement. Rolling forward through the ages, uh, he establishes a, a covenant with a guy named David, a second king uh, of the Israelites. And he promises David, your line will be eternal. There will come from your line of kings. As long as you're faithful to me, I'll keep you know, your line and king uh, to be kings. Guess what? Like they screw that up. But one will come who will be an eternal king. His kingdom will never end. And I kind of referred to some of the failings, but across all this time, it's this tension of like, ah, they follow God, and then they get distracted, which, again, I can really relate to. Um, and they fall away, and he tries to bring them back. Um, as it turns out, we're really bad at being God. Like the rules that we make up for how to do it, like they suck. I can look personally at the decisions that I make. I can look at, you know, like when you read through the Old Testament, like sometimes it's like, oh, are you guys a bunch of toddlers? It's like, nah, they're people. <laughs> they're just people. Uh, or we can turn on the news. Like, like we really suck at being God. And throughout all this time, God repeats this, this refrain um, it's not always stated exactly this way, but the heart of it, uh, spoken to Abraham, spoken to Moses, spoken to other prophets who are basically just special people that uh, God chose to reveal his truth to so that they would tell that truth to the Israelites that maybe they would repent and come back to God how they're intended to be. Uh, throughout the ages, he says, his desire and his intent, you will be my people and I will be your God. It didn't go so great for the Israelites. Uh, ultimately, they are scattered. Um, there's this great period of silence where they hear nothing. There's no prophet. What's going to happen to God's great plan, all of his promises? What's going to happen? Jesus, somebody said it louder. Jesus. Jesus, yes, we're in church. That's like the safe answer. Yeah, Jesus. <laughs> Jesus happens. According to scripture, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. I said before, I don't know what God looks like. Um, well, Jesus is a picture. He's 100% God. Uh, he came here with full deity, holy, able to commune with the Father and the Spirit, and also 100% man, enduring every hardship and temptation that we have. I promise you, like, the dude probably stank. Like, they wandered around in the desert a whole lot. Like, as a baby, I know this is, like, the cheesy cliche thing to say, but, like, he, 
you know, hoops like every other kid, probably had some good screaming stuff, like 100% God, 100% man. We're not ever going to fully wrap our heads around it, but ultimately what it means is that he was able to satisfy those covenants that, that we could not. He was able to uphold the law. He was able to do what we said we would do. And so he was also able to be a perfect sacrifice, a perfect atonement. Uh, when he was on the cross, after having been uh, tortured and humiliated, uh, there's this point where uh, he asks for some wine, they give him some sour wine, which I'm sure sucked, uh, and he cries out, Tetelestai, which I'm sure I mispronounced. It means it is finished. That's how we translate it. You look in your Bible, it says, it is finished. That tetelestai was common. Uh, you know, they all kind of Greek was the common tongue throughout all this, um, how business was done, how they interacted with each other, how they kept records. Uh, and this was put on certificates of death and receipts when they were paid. Tetelestai, it is paid. Paid in full. Moreover, um, that word is, we're familiar with like conjugate, we remember like grade school and grammar school and like tenses, future tense, past tense, present tense, right? Yeah. Um, this word is in a tense in Greek that doesn't exist in English. It's called the perfect tense. How appropriate. Um, it is both what they call an aorist tense uh, or a punticular tense, which means it's like happened at one point in time. Like I knock over the cup, at one point in time, Ben knocked over the cup right? It is finished. Jesus hung on the cross, paid our debt. It, it happened. But it also means the present tense. It is happening. This is the gospel, that Jesus paid the debt that we could not pay and continues to. It is paid. It is paid forever. Yeah, yeah. God came down to his people to repair the relationship that he might be our God. And not only with the Hebrews, um, but with all of us. Like how many of us have, are of Hebrew descent? Ooh, very bad news if it's just based on that, right? Nobody, I know, we didn't look, nobody raised their hand. Um, I asked before, how do you measure the value of a human life? Apparently, we're worth a lot. Apparently, we're worth a lot. So it's finished. We've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. Uh, and yet, earlier, this happened 2,000 years ago, right? I said, it is finished. It happened. It's accomplished, and it's accomplishing. So why have we all felt disappointment? We're saved, it's fixed, and yet we still face brokenness. God is mighty to save, um, but I know I've been struggling. God is mighty to save, but, um, you know, Stephanie and I, we've been trying to start a family for four years now. 
And when we finally got pregnant, we, we lost the child. And when we got pregnant again, we lost the baby again. And we're not alone in our suffering. We've done life with so many people who face things that are just as difficult. They're redeemed in Christ, and yet um, this stuff still happens. Like, how do, we, how do we fit these things together? Stephanie and I have been in so many waiting rooms at so many doctor's offices. Um, I won't go through the whole list, but let's just say, like, like medical stuff has just been continual. And as a husband, it's like the most infuriating thing because I can't do anything about it. I can't put my hand to her and say, oh, you're fixed. And so, like, you know, is our life as Christ followers, is it like, is it like those terrible waiting rooms at the doctor? Like, okay, like, eh, I know what the end is, but waiting around in this unpleasant waiting room to uh, lighten the mood a little bit. Um, how many people here are Harry Potter fans? Yeah, hands on, all right, yeah. No, it didn't have, yeah, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Eagerness, eagerness to participate for that one. Uh, who's been to Islands of Adventure and Universal Studios, you know, the whole Harry Potter, yeah, all the same people, yep. <laughs> and uh, uh, me too. I'm not a super, like, fan or something, but it's fun, it's cool. Um, everyone familiar with uh, the new ride? New roller coaster, they opened it, I don't know, a month ago, something like that. Oh, I'm getting like a, yeah, I am. <laughs> I am aware of the ride, yeah. There's a 10-hour wait at the beginning of that thing. When they opened it, there was a 10-hour wait in the middle of the Florida summer. Talk about miserable. Like, especially, like, if you're familiar with Islands of Adventure, like, it, like, snaked around. So can you imagine being in the Seuss land with, like, the chipper singing voices, like, forever, for hours, you're standing there, and it's hot. So is that what it's like? We're in this terrible line, but there's a ride at the end. If that's the case, like I'm going to quote Paul here from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Otherwise, what will those do who are baptized for the dead? If the dead are not raised at all, why are they then baptized for them? Why are we also in danger every hour? I affirm, brethren, by the boasting in you which I have in Christ, Lord, uh, Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. If from human motives I fought with the wild beasts at Ephesus, what does it profit me? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Yeah. If we're just waiting around and we know the end, like, yeah, get ours, right? <laughs> if the dead are not raised. I am thankful to God that the story does not end with Jesus hanging on that accursed tree. Um, but rather it ends and continues with him raised not only from the dead, uh, but to the greatest heights of power and glory to be seated at the right hand of the Father. He is the eternal king promised to David. If you read the beginning of Matthew, there's like this long, boring genealogy of like, oh, who's this Jesus guy? That's why, because it's fulfilling that covenant. He's the eternal king of the line of David. 
he brings a new and everlasting covenant. This was promised through the prophets. I'm going to replace my people's hearts. I'm going to write my law in their hearts. I will give to them my spirit. Um, they will be my people, and I will be their God. I will forget their sin. This echoed out for hundreds and thousands of years through the prophets' voices. Jesus is this new covenant. Because of Jesus, uh, his laws can be written not on tablets of stone, but on the tablets of our hearts. And his spirit, his Holy Spirit, the same spirit that was part of the creation of the world and the terrifying plagues of Egypt, and the same spirit that's powerful to raise one from the dead, this is the spirit that lives in us and empowers us to participate in his kingdom here and now. We don't have to wait. We can start now. Jesus' redemptive work began in his earthly ministry, and it continues to today, and it will continue to tomorrow, and it will continue forever. And we're invited to participate. The scriptures give us a whole bunch of illustrations of what it looks like to engage in that work. Um, but there are a couple examples that I'm going to pull from. Uh, the first is in John chapter 4. Uh, this is after one of my favorite stories from the Gospels, it's uh, this interaction between Jesus and a Samaritan woman at the well, which I really don't have time to get into. But let's just say, like, that's a no-no. Like, he shouldn't be talking to this lady. He's a good Jew. Uh, she is a Samaritan woman of disrepute. But he tells her everything about her life. He reveals, it's the first, according to scripture, now again, it's like kind of hard to try to piece together a timeline based on different gospels. I'm not interested in the task. Other people get really into it. Not for me. Um, but it's possibly the first time that Jesus just says like, yep, I'm the guy. I'm the Messiah. She goes running down uh, into town telling everybody, this dude told me everything I've ever done. Like, this might be the guy. And they're starting to come out of their, out of their houses uh, and out of their businesses. Uh, and we pick up John chapter 4, verse 31. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples were saying to one another, no one brought him anything to eat, did he? <laughs> Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there are yet four months and then comes the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white for harvest. Quick pause. Don't know this for sure, but I hope it's true because I really like the image. Uh, culturally, they would have had uh, like a white cloth covering on their head. And so imagine they're on this elevated uh, kind of plateau with the well, and they're looking out, and all these people are coming up. And they've got these white coverings on the top of their heads. Have you guys ever seen... Uh, like a field that's ready for harvest, like wheat. It has these like white tops, and it's ready for harvest. And so Jesus is looking out at all these people, and he says, like, this is the stuff. Already he, reap, he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for life eternal, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together. For in this case, the saying is true. One sows and another reaps. I have sent you to reap that for which you have not labored. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. So Jesus is saying to his disciples, all right, guys, it's starting. So what's the work? What's the harvest? I gave it to you. 
what is it? The people, yeah, the people who are the image bearers of God, the people who are so worthwhile that Jesus came down himself and paid the punishment that we deserved, the people. Our second example uh, is an illustration of building a building. It comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 3. There's a little bit of a schism going on in the church. Some of the people are like, well, like, I got saved through Apollos, so I'm, I'm about like what Apollos says. Other people are like, yeah, but I, Paul, Paul, better than Apollos. Like, really? Like, I'm sure it was like more nuanced than that, but that's not as, as humorous for me to say here. So, uh, continuing, and, and very conveniently, uh, Paul starts with the same example of harvesting, of harvest and agriculture. What then is Apollos, and what is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, even as the Lord gave opportunity to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God was causing the growth. So then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but God who causes the growth. Now he who plants and he who waters are one, but each will receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. According to the grace of God, which was given to me, like a wise master builder, I laid a foundation and in others building on top of it. But each man must be careful how he builds on it, for no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now, if any man builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it because it is to be revealed with fire. And the fire itself will test the quality of each man's work. If any man's work which he has built on it remains, he will receive a reward. If any man's work is burned up, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So, Jesus is the bedrock. He's the foundation. Paul built on top of this. Apollos built on top of what Paul built on top of. We are invited into this process of building. And we can build on it in many different ways. We can build on it with things that are precious and with things that are not so precious. And the metaphor here is that it will be tested by fire. What burns up in fire, gold or straw? Straw. Silver or wood? Wood. So yeah, we can get ours. We can spend our time here and uh, while it away, it's like, ooh, saved by Jesus. The analogy that, that Paul gives is that yeah, you'll be saved, and it'll be kind of like you escaped a burning building. But you're invited to participate. You're invited to build things that will last. What are the things that will last? Don't say gold. <laughs> People. People will last. Relationships will last. I'm going to skip a bunch of junk. <laughs> um, mm. I don't want to skip this. I apologize. Give me 30 more seconds. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, both Jesus and Paul bring up this idea of reward. And so I want to get back to that roller coaster. I hope that we can leave here today thinking that the, you know, like Hagrid's roller coaster, nothing compared to what God has in store. So I promised the whole Bible. We started in Genesis. I'm going to read from uh, Revelation chapter 21, starting in verse 1. 
Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain, for the first things have passed away. And he who sits on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. And he said, Write, for these words are faithful and true. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. I will give to the one who thirsts from the spring of the water of life without cost. He who overcomes will inherit these things, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. When I live that way, when I keep my eyes fixed on Jesus, um, rather than being overwhelmed by the like crummy uh, things going on in my life, um, I can make it. I can, I can take it. And it's not, let me dispel this like, idea that's out there like, oh, God won't give you more than you can handle. No. <laughs> he will. There's a whole bunch of martyrs through history who would also like to disagree. <laughs> it didn't end well for them. Um, but Jesus promises, uh, and again, Jesus is the creator of all things. Scripture tells us that there was not anything made that was not made through him. And he says that he's making all things new. He's not making all new things. He's not like, ah, this mic stand's terrible, throw it in the garbage. Um, I mean, he might, I don't know. But <laughs> he's renewing and redeeming us. He's making us new. He's making all things new. A bunch of scripture that I don't have time to reference that I have here in my doohickey, like, oh, I'm getting old. Um, <laughs> Creation yearns for that. Creation itself, like creation's not like, yay, God's going to destroy us with fire. Like, <laughs> no, creation yearns for us to be revealed, for it to be redeemed, for a full restoration that only our perfect God and King Jesus could accomplish. Uh, you guys can come out. I'm going to uh, close this. In Hebrews chapter 12, uh, the author of Hebrews encourages uh, the people. He says, therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, that's all the saints, and we're connected to them. I'm here on the stage telling you these things because from Paul was Apollos, and from Apollos was I don't know his name or her name. But through the ages and through the generations, people answered the call. People were captivated by Jesus and pursued him and they continued building. And now I'm a part of that building. We're all here because of them. We're connected to what was written thousands of years ago. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I'm going to pray real briefly. Jesus, our King, I am so amazed by you. I am so thankful 
for you, for you are a good king. I pray that today's service could be um, fragrant to you, that this could bring glory to your name. I thank you for these, your people. God, I thank you for the ways, Holy Spirit, that you work in this community, that you do the work of your scriptures, which is to knit our hearts together in love. Holy Spirit, empower us to leave this place, uh, to go out, to be lights, to be a reflection of you, mighty King. We praise this by your holy and precious name.